What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Very excited for today's interview. We have an amazing guest named Kadrin Cowan-Sage who is the founder and CEO of Alpha, a community of over 60,000 women who work in tech. Alpha has a really cool story. It spun out of YC, where Kajan was actually an engineer building tools for Y Combinator and building the community up within Y Combinator. She started essentially a community just for the female employees at Y Combinator, eventually opened it up to other entrepreneurs who YC invested in and then spun it out and it became Alpha as as a standalone business, which has grown into this incredible community. And she shares the entire story of how she built a community up. One really unique thing is she built the platform herself rather than using any sort of -of out-of-the-box tool. So we talk a bit about how she built up that platform and why she thinks it's important to build your own platform as a community builder if you can. One really cool thing we talk about too is how they monetize. So Alpha is completely monetized through jobs and matchmaking. And we go really in depth into how they do that matchmaking, how they connect companies with women working in tech to help them hire. And they've been able to build a really successful business in that way. kajun has got a lot of really good insights on how to build community. She's a very thoughtful community builder with a ton of experience. We also talk about how she's built out her entire community team and what the makeup of her team is. Lots of good stuff in here. You're going to love it. Let's dive in. Kadrian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Very excited to chat. Uh, I've been following your work for a long time and everything that you've been doing with Alpha. You've come recommended by other guests and lots of other people I know in the world of community. Oh, wow. So just excited to hear about your story and how you got into community and how Alpha came to be. I know a little bit about it from all my research, but can't wait to hear about it from you. So why don't we start there? How did you become a community builder? You weren't originally a community builder. I think you were an engineer before building community. So how did that journey land you as a community builder? Yeah, good question. So I was working as an engineer, as you said, right before Alpha, I was working at Y Combinator. And so I was building software for startups. And my experience as an engineer, very often, I was the only woman on an engineering team, right? And so I had lots of sort of Mm -hmm. interesting, unusual experiences from there. And so at MongoDB, one of the companies that I worked at before YC, Mm -hmm. I actually started the women's engineering. I guess it was an early ERG. And I did it with a few friends. It was originally just sort of a group of women in engineering working together. And so we just started having dinners. And that was really my first exposure to like, I guess you would call it building community is getting a group of women together. It was about 10 of us. Mm. And it really just sort of grew from there. You know, I'm introverted. So I never thought of myself as a community builder. But interestingly enough, a lot of my friends who also run online communities are also introverted. So I think there may be something to that. There is. Yes. We've seen that too. I think it's, I think we actually did it in a survey once and 60% oh, wow. said that they were introverted. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I guess we all are sort of yeah. congregated on, online and socializing there instead. It's really interesting to see. And I really, you know, I learned about community building, building alpha and growing alpha. And then, of course, also at YC, which is so much of a community of founders as well. So it was sort of a blend of all of these places. Yeah, that's really cool. I like most community builders, you kind of fall into it from yeah. without meaning to. And it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I'm a community builder now. Oops. I know. <laughs> yeah. And it's building alpha is really the things that work when you're a community of a hundred versus a thousand. We're now sixty thousand members. So it's like yeah. you sort of evolve with 
the community and scale with it and learn how to manage it and what works and what doesn't as you go, or that's what I've found. So yeah, it will be interesting at a few hundred thousand users how it changes from there. Absolutely. And I want to talk all about that journey and kind of how things have evolved. But yeah, I would love to hear what is Alpha today and how did it first get started? What was the path to getting there today? Yeah. So Alpha is a professional network that's focused on helping women succeed at work. And success at work means different things to different women. And so we're really focused on being a space where people from different backgrounds and with different experiences, whether it's life experiences or skills, can come together, support each other, help each other. And we can all sort of figure out how to succeed in our own ways professionally. So Alpha actually started as a side project of mine when I was working at Y Combinator. So I had my day job building software at YC, but on the side, I was building this community. And so the original space, I actually started having built my own software. So it always was my own software because I'm an engineer, Mm. but my original users were YC employees and it was a super small group and it really grew from there. And so from there, after the YC employees, then women from the YC alumni network were invited to join Alpha. So alumni being founders that you invested in or those previous employees? Good question. Yes, exactly. So I use a little bit of like the YC vocabulary. So please, yeah, definitely stop me anytime (laughs) I do that. So YC invests in batches. And so there's all these founders in the batches each year. And so... The alumni network is what YC calls that community of, it's about, I think it's like, gosh, I don't know how many it is. When I was there, it was like maybe 4,000 founders, something like that. I think it's much bigger now, so I won't even try to guess. Yeah. And so we invited all of the women from that alumni network to join the initial side project I was working on. That's interesting on its own because that's a pretty different community, a community for women who are working at YC to founders or female founders yes. who participated in YC. Was that like a natural progression or did you have to very intentionally shift the focus of the community there? So from the very beginning, the focus of the community was we are all women working in the tech industry. There are things that happen that our gender is plays a role in. Yeah. Let's create a space where we can talk about that, where we, we don't have to talk about that, but we can, and we can do it really candidly and openly. There are no trolls. That was really the goal of Alpha is create a troll-free space where these women who work in tech can get to know each other, have conversations, talk about what's going on, talk about issues they're running into in the workplace. And so that is a shared theme from women who work at YC and women in the YC alumni network. Mm, Got it. The reason I chose that group of people is because they all knew each other. They had a, maybe not personally, but they all at least had this sort of like shared vocabulary, shared experience, shared set of problems. Founders are also pretty lonely. So having a community is definitely a value add. And they were also all women who were in tech. Right. And then this also started around the time when Trump was elected. So there were some bigger issues going on in the world where I think women were especially feeling like I really need a space where I can talk to other yeah. women and feel supported. What Was there an existing YC alumni community space that they had access to that was just for all alumni? And this was yep. ended up kind of being a spin out of that? Yeah. So there's YC has something called Bookface. So it is the, yeah, it's like the official alumni community and forum. And so that's one of the, my first introductions to community online Mm -hmm. and sort of managing it. And it's an awesome space, totally fantastic for founders, but it's not specifically for women. And so this was really serving sort of like an overlap, an overlapping group of people Mm. and the topics that we were talking about and really the structure of the community are quite a bit different. And so inviting those founders was like a great way to bring in a group of people who sort of have this existing trust with each other and like feel comfortable talking but also creating a space that is unique where the conversations are different and sort of the structure of the community is a bit different as well. So it was like a place to have different conversations than the the ones they were having on Bookface. Right. And it was called something else as well. Was it called Leap? Yes, exactly. So it was called Leap. Yeah. And so it was something that I really built on the side. 
I had YC's blessing to do it. I said, hey, I really want right. to build this community for women. And I told a couple of partners and they were like, great, let's see the first version next Monday. You know, it was a Friday yeah, afternoon. In true YC form. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. You know, I went home and built some basics forum software. Yeah. I did that. We can talk more about this, but I did that sort of intentionally wanting to build the software from scratch. But then just really built it on the side and YC was supportive and we shared it with the alumni network. I actually pitched it at a demo day while it was, oh, nice. uh, yeah, That's awesome. while to like a thousand investors, the YC demo day while I was an employee and really just let it grow organically from there. I used to wake up at 5 a.m. and work on it before work and then <laughs> check in on it during the day. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Can I ask, so why build out a whole new product and a whole different community space with a whole different community brand rather than create a sort of subgroup within Bookface? Yes. Good question. Well, for one, my vision wasn't for it to be specifically for YC founders. So my vision was for it to be for women who are working in the tech industry. And so Mm. I think the YC founder group was like a great initial group of users but I really wanted it to include more Mm. women in the industry. So that was one piece. So you've always had this kind of bigger picture vision. It wasn't like, I'm just doing it for YC. And then later you're like, all right, let's open it up. You always had that in mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I have so many experiences as an engineer wanting to have a bigger engineering community of other women who are coders. And so that was part of it is part of my personal motivation was like, I really want to know more women who are working in engineering, who are building companies. Those are the things I'm interested in. I want to talk to them. Where are they? How do we have candid conversations on the internet? Can't do that on Twitter necessarily. You can, but it can be kind of scary. Like, where's the right place to do that? And so the reason for building our own software is there's a philosophical part, which is that I have this belief that software that is built by women for women will inherently be different. You have all sorts of Mm. biases and sort of opinions that go into software subtly without even realizing it. And so I really wanted this software to be something that women created. Mm. And then I also have a lot of opinions about how I wanted the community, the software for the community to be structured. Like I wanted a lot of control over the emails we sent, onboarding, the actual design of the community, like all these things. And I think there's a lot of great products out there for community. But I think especially coming in as an engineer, it's like really frustrating where you're like, I can't do the things I want. It will just be faster and easier for me to build this myself from scratch. <laughs> I think every community builder out there has that same thought, but they just have no idea how to build it themselves and don't have access to engineering resources. So we just kind of go with what's available. Yeah, so you are in a unique position to be able to do what we all wish we could do, which <laughs> is like, because communities are, it's so important for a community to have its own unique identity and vibe and feel like it's built specifically for this group of people. Yes. And so building from scratch enables you to do that. And if you have that ability, it makes a lot of sense yeah. when it comes to building community spaces. Yeah. I'm curious, do you, are there specific things that come to mind in regards to building a community space specifically for women? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of there are a lot of different pieces to that. I think one that I've mentioned is feeling like it's a space that you're not going to get trolled mm. where you can like talk about the experience of being a woman without getting trolled basically. And so we do a lot of things to create a space that feels safe and welcoming and like well moderated. And so we do moderate it. We actually have a moderation team. So we have people who right. whose job it is to basically we have shifts and we are keeping an eye on things and also making sure people are basically getting their questions answered. And mm. if something happens in the community, there's some an actual person there who's paying attention. Mm. We also have a mechanism for flagging content where as soon as somebody flags the content is actually removed. So we assume you're flagging it for good reason, and then we do review it after and basically we'll reinstate the content if it does meet our guidelines. And so I think those are two really big things. It's like people feel like Alpha is trustworthy. Alpha is keeping an eye on things as a company and a team. 
We definitely want it to still feel like a space where you can speak openly. We don't have like an opinion about what the right thing to say is about a topic, right? People talk about all kinds of difficult topics. And in fact, we love and encourage that. But our goal is really for those conversations to be constructive, for people to be respectful. And we have guidelines for that. The other thing that we do is you can post anonymously. So it's pseudo-anonymous where we know who you are behind the scenes. So we don't ever check, but there's a line to who you are in case something goes wrong. Right. And so it creates a mechanism for members to be really open and vulnerable. At first, when we first launched that, I wasn't sure whether this would be a terrible idea and people would say awful things, but just the nature of the community and the people who are in it, it works really well. People can talk about their job, a job, Mm. you know, an issue they're having at their job or negotiating a salary, like things that they might not be able to publicly post about on a forum they're able to do using the Anon posting. I love that. I'm surprised. I'm always surprised that more platforms don't offer that kind of functionality. And I often see community builders essentially come up with like a hacky way to be able to do that. Like you submit a form and then the moderator will post a question for you or something. But I love that you have that built into the product as an option for people. Yeah. And I've seen the same thing when we have done that, even in a hacky way, it just opens up so much more kind of meaningful conversations and vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. people love answering those questions too, because they feel like they're, I don't know, it's just something about like really helping someone who's dealing with something that's big enough that they don't want their name attached to it. I know. Yeah. So that's really cool. So you kind of had, you built functionality around the anonymity. And then just to call out the moderation stuff, my first thought was like, well, most platforms have moderation in it. But as I was thinking about it, I do think it's really unique to center moderation so intentionally right up front as like a core premise Mm -hmm. of the product rather than what I see most community platforms do, which is it's kind of like an add-on after the thought. Like, all right, we have all of our engagement mechanisms and then let's add moderation. But especially for communities, for groups like women or any underrepresented group who's used to being trolled or dealing with kind of abuse in other communities, really making moderation, like front and center of the community experience, I can imagine that feeling very different than other community platforms out there. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I appreciate that you think so, because that's like a very important part of our philosophy as well. And our community team is amazing. And they're a very big part of Alpha's culture as a team and also the culture of our community. And in fact, our moderators all come, we call them community managers, our community managers all come from the community. So the way we bring them onto the team is we just see them being amazing in the community and like really engaging and supporting people and sort of personifying the sort of ideal user, you know, the ideal member and Mm -hmm. how we want people to contribute. And we invite, then we invite them to join the team. So it's worked really well for us. That's cool. So the community managers, are those moderators? Are they part-time, full-time community managers? Yes. So they're Mm part-time. And so I would say, I think everybody is, has like a day job doing something that is not community management. So we have a product manager, we have a founder, we have a designer, we have someone who works in venture, we have a bunch of different people. And that actually, I think is a really interesting aspect to it because I think Mm -hmm. having people who have different backgrounds and whether it's racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, skills, like all of these different things, having the people who are moderating come from all of these different places makes the conversations much more rich. And also like when we're dealing with questions about like, what is appropriate content? How do we handle a situation? It's really helpful to have lots of different points of view in the room. And so, yeah, it's definitely maybe a different approach to moderation, but it's worked really well for us. Yeah, I love it. And so all the moderators are paid. Yes, they're all paid. That's cool. Yeah. And so are, are you the only full-time person on the team? Nope. We are a team of four full-time and I think we're 16 total who are working it in various different types of part-time capacities. What are the roles? I guess both full-time or part-time, like how is the team structured? Yep. So we have a marketing team and so the marketing team works on a big part on content. And so we haven't talked about that piece of alpha, but one of the big things that we do is we actually write long form content Mm. for our members. So we basically look at what everybody is talking about 
And we write long form guides and content based on those conversations. So like Mm. one of the things we wrote about was how to quit your job, (laughs) like how to do that effectively. And typically when we write something like that, we'll engage with the community. So we'll often quote members, we'll ask the community questions. And so we'll often extract quotes from experts from the community who contribute to these guides. Mm -hmm. And so our marketing team works a lot on that. Another thing that, and we can talk more about this too, because I'm very excited about it, is we just launched a salary database with salary data from all of our, not all of our members, but a lot of our members. That was another project they worked on. And so, so that's one piece. Then we have design and engineering. Then we have community. So That is our, I would say, our biggest group of freelancers. And then the other piece, which another aspect of Alpha that I'm sure we'll talk about is the hiring side of Alpha. So one of the things that we do is we help our members find jobs. And so we have an amazing head of talent and customer success. She basically works with companies that we partner with and candidates from the Alpha community that are looking for jobs. And she helps basically matchmake between the two and Mm -hmm. really works as a partner with companies that we work with, basically helping them hire more women. So I hope I haven't forgotten anyone. I very well (laughs) may have, but that's the big picture. And on the community team, are those all the part-time moderators? Is there any sort of like full-time community team or anyone who's kind of leading community strategy? So we have a community lead. She is also actually part-time. And then there's me thinking about it right. too. So I'm always thinking about it as well. Got it. And how do you think about like your community strategy and kind of facilitating engagement? I guess at this point, the community, you said it's about 50, 60,000 members. Yep. And it's free, right? To join. Yep. And so like, there's probably a ton of organic engagement. And at yep. this point, you're kind of just facilitating and just coming up with unique ways to continue to engage the community. Yes. So... Definitely very different than what it was at the beginning. At the beginning, I was asking a lot of questions. I was prodding my friends who were in the community to post. Anytime someone would talk to me in the office or, you know, wherever, I would say, I'm not answering you here. You can post that on Alpha and I'll answer it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to ask (laughs) me through the... I love that. (laughs) Now, yeah, it's very much member-driven. The cool thing and one of the things that's worked really well for us is sort of I and the other community managers, we really modeled the kind of content we want our members to create and the kind of conversations we want them to have, showing people like, Mm -hmm. what is this space about? What should you post here? And so that really snowballs. And so the first users realize what our intention is and the ones who like it stick around and do the same, hopefully. And that has really snowballed. So now that we're at 60,000 members, There's a lot of people who are creating those conversations. And one of the really big things that happens is members having a problem about work. It's like having a tough time with a manager, negotiating compensation, pregnant while job interviewing. That's one that actually comes up quite a bit. Mm. There's all of these things. And Alpha is the place where people ask those questions and feel like they can get answers. And so that is sort of happens on an ongoing basis because all of our members are at various moments in the year having these issues. And then the other cool thing is that a lot of them, I think they just enjoy giving the advice as well. But I think there's also this attitude of giving back. Like if Alpha has helped you wanting to come back and help the rest of the Alpha community, we'll often get emails from people who share like a really cool success story and they attribute Alpha in their success. And so they email and say, "How? what can I do? How can I help? And the answers usually contribute, you know, just answer people's questions and support other hmm. members. Do you have like specific things that you ask people to do? If they ask like, hey, how can I contribute? Do you have, I know one thing we started doing at CMX is we created a page. It's just like, here are all the ways you can contribute. You can speak, you can write an yep. article, you can host an event. So do you have kind of specific asks that you can make of community members? Yeah, And we should make a page. That's a great idea. So we do a few different things. One of the things that we do is every week we do office hour. It's like a Reddit AMA. Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, written office hours with a featured guest. So Mm -hmm. sometimes the person who's writing is an executive at a company or a higher profile. And so if it's a higher profile person, one, that's really cool that they're writing because Alpha has helped them in their journey, but we'll ask them to do office hours. So we'll invite them to do office hours. The other thing that we'll do is we do content that we basically collaborate with Mm -hmm. our members on. So it's editorialized. We have an editorial team. 
and our members, we have sort of a guide for like how to choose a topic. Here are the types of topics that people like to read about that do really well in alpha. They'll write for us. We'll then edit, mm-hmm. uh, help edit the content, and then we'll spotlight it and feature it on Alpha and publish it. So we'll invite mm. them to write something for us. If they have a specialized expertise, like they're a startup lawyer, then we'll put them, we have a, a list that our mods keep up with. That's basically like the people who are specific experts at sort of niche specific things that come up a lot. And so we will add them to that list and then we'll tag them in. If a comment comes up and we're not seeing the immediate organic engagement, tag that person Mm -hmm. to follow up and also let them know that we're planning to do that, uh, of course. Right. So those are the big ones. Cool. Yeah. Is that content that they're contributing, is that unique from the long form content that you described before? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So the long form resources are guides that our team will write. And sometimes we'll put someone on our team as the author, but sometimes it will just be like Alpha team as the author and they're long form on a specific topic. The spotlight editorial content from our members is really more about like a personal experience that they had or like five lessons they learned about X, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it's much more of a personal uh, first person telling about a learning that they had usually, typically. And is the long form publicly available and the community ones are just for the community? So interesting question. Almost all of Alpha's content is private. So the conversations that members are having are very often private. So I would say the like juiciest content, the stuff that's probably most interesting to read, you have to be a member to read it. Interesting. And I didn't mention this, but we actually do like a verification for everyone who wants to be a member. So you have to apply to be a member. Right. But we also have some public content. And so the public content is those editorial posts that we invite members to work with on us. Our office hours are public. And then members can actually choose to post publicly also. So there's like when you're posting, you have the option whether to post publicly or not. Usually if it's a sensitive topic or something like that, people don't check that box. But sometimes they do. And that's always very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's usually the point where I have a thousand more questions and I'm like, crap, we're running out of time already. So I have to like choose them very wisely. But yes. it is cool. You, you have such a cool community and oh, I want to learn so much more about it. And so just so everyone kind of understands the full scope of Alpha, it sounds like you have the online community discussions. People can post. They can post anonymously. They can post publicly. You have the content that you're publishing, AMAs, long form articles, different things like that. You have AMAs. You have... The job exchange, which we'll get into, is, is matchmaking and jobs. And, and I think that's how you monetize. And what about events? Are you hosting events as well? Virtual events, in-person events? Yeah, good question. We do those in a really ad hoc way so far. We do one monthly live on Zoom meetup where you can meet the team. New members mm-hmm. especially will join for that. And then we'll periodically do, like if somebody emails us and says, I really want to give back. I have this specific expertise and we think, oh, this would be something that members would really like to have access to and it is better live than we'll host an event. So we, most of Alpha is done async, written long form. Interesting. No uh, Alpha conference annually coming up? Anything like that? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but you never know what may happen in the future. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever do in-person stuff, I guess, pre-COVID? Yeah, we've done a little bit of in-person. And again, it's very ad hoc. We'll do like happy hours. We did a talk in New York, actually, pretty recently. We had a holiday party. This was all before COVID. So we've done some live events, but there's not like a recurring every Thursday. Not really a core part of the experience. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Any reason why? Is it just yeah not something that you don't find it quite as valuable? or That's a good question. I think a few things. One is that I think one of the things that people get a lot of value from is that the Alpha community is very distributed globally. And many of our members, especially now with COVID, have sort of left cities, left like yeah. the, the sort of hub, tech hub. Yeah. And so being a space where you can still access your tech community is one of the things that we are really trying to do. And so it's much easier to do that online, right? Like if you do an in-person event, some people have kids and people don't live in the place and all of these things. And so I think especially early on and with limited resources, 
we were finding that we were able to engage more of the community more effectively by doing it online. Async. And the other thing is then, you know, you have like, you can sort of save the conversation and pull out insights and republish. And like, there are lots of ways for people to get long-term value out of the online experience where they might not be able to the same way if it's live and in person. Totally. Yeah. It makes it easier to translate that content into those like long form editorial yeah. articles and things like that. How often are you, is your team publishing those long form articles? Yep. We do a few each month. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It's something we try to do a lot of and I, I, I always want to do more of. I actually, I did an interview with Max Rothery from Finimize recently and he was talking about how that's like a huge part of how they run their community yep. ecosystem at Finimize is they're constantly looking at what people are talking about in the community. And then every week they meet up with the editorial team and they turn that into the newsletter that goes out, yep. which is a paid newsletter. So literally cool. their product is coming from the community. It's such a great way to put your newsletter together. We actually have a newsletter too, which we haven't talked about yet, but our newsletter is essentially just aggregating the conversations on Alpha. And it works really well. People love the newsletter because yeah. people are just talking about really interesting things. So, yeah. Is it automated or do you have to manually put it together? Both. So we do a daily that's automated where we just uh -huh. pull the top conversations every day. And then we do a curated, one of our team members puts together weekly. So she sends that out. Well, she writes it on Sunday, so it goes out Monday morning. Very cool. And so she basically pulls what, sort of more editorialized version of what she thinks is people are going to find most interesting from Alpha and then also adds a little more color to what's going on. And often mm. we'll put a little blurb at the top. Do you find that more of your members subscribe to the daily or the weekly? So dailies also get the weekly. So Automatically, okay. Yeah, but more people are subscribed to getting the daily and the weekly than just getting the weekly. Got it. And the email experience has always been a big part of Alpha, uh, for sure. Right. I guess that's a really important thing for any community that doesn't live on like Facebook or Slack or yeah. Discord or like one of the existing platforms because that's how you get people to come back. Yes, exactly. I think that is the big risk of not being on an existing platform is people have right. not built the habit from other things that they're doing on the platform, like Facebook, for example. And so we have to create new mechanisms for them to build that habit. Yeah. Totally. Okay. I want to talk about the jobs and the monetization. So yes. the main way that Alpha monetizes, because it is a business, yes. it's a standalone business. I don't even know if we got, I kept interrupting you. Eventually you spun Alpha out of YC and it became its own company, right? Yes. So basically we grew organically at YC. And then at some point I just had that founder itch. I really wanted to work on it full time. I felt like it had huge potential. And one of the things I was mulling over a lot while I was at YC was like, what is the right business model? What will feel good to our members? What will be a value add and won't like ruin the community? And that is always the thing. Yeah. And one of the things I was doing at YC when it was a side project was I was just introducing members to YC companies. So that was just happening organically. People were posting about bad experiences at work or looking for a new job on Alpha. And then I would just reach out and say, hey, I know this company, do you want an intro? And sort of doing my hand matchmaking and people were getting hired and people liked it. And so that was sort of early validation that this is a thing that I firmly believe companies would want it. And the question was like, well, members want it also because I think especially as an engineer, like you are constantly getting emails pitching you on new jobs. And so like, how do you create a recruiting service that is not spam is a big question. Yeah. So we actually started working on the revenue generating part of Alpha really early mm -hmm. after we spun out. So by the way, I just skipped that. But yes, we spun out and I can talk more about the process of spinning out, but it's kind of unique because like not that many companies spin out of Y Combinator, right. but, but happy to talk about it. But we spun out and YC funded us. So we did, I don't remember which batch, summer 19, I think, summer 19 batch. And then we raised the seed round, which would now in present day terms be called pre-seed. Right. Pre-pre-pre-seed. <laughs> yes. And we're really off to the races. And so we actually started working on the revenue side of Alpha while we were in YC. Yeah. Because one of the things that I was nervous about, and I think investors are often nervous about with communities, is like, how are you going to make money? How are you going to make money? Sure. 
one hardest part for community builders or yes. community entrepreneurs. Exactly. It's interesting that you fundraise as well because a lot of community-driven business or community-centric businesses are bootstrapped. Yes. Because it's hard to reach venture scale yes. in terms of building a community-centric business. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I have many opinions about that. But I'll pause on those for one second and just talk about the revenue side for just a second. Yeah. So yeah, when we were in the batch, we decided to sell the talent product a sort of hand-done talent product, like what it was doing at YC, to companies and see if we could get companies to pay for it. And then on the flip side, we also started doing in this very manual, like I was emailing members and working with them, figure out like, can we create a service that feels really valuable and like mm-hmm. high quality to our members? And like our members, if we announce that we're doing this as our revenue model, will they be offended? Like, will that upset them? So we just wanted to know that soon, early. And so we did that and we got paying customers pretty quickly. Mm. Admittedly, I was a first-time salesperson, so I had to learn. And members were not offended. And we had done some surveying and knowing that finding jobs was something that they were interested in. And so Mm -hmm. it makes sense, right? Like having career opportunities is really an important part of succeeding at work and feeling like you are finding an opportunity that's a really good fit for you where you're going to succeed. And so... That's really where we focus. And so the product's changed a lot since then, the talent product. But essentially what we do is we have, we call the talent pool where our members can basically raise their hand and say, I'm job searching. And then we ask them a bunch of questions about the cultural qualities they want in a company, about their experience and skills, about what they're looking for next. And they get a talent profile on Alpha, Mm. which is only accessible to companies we partner with. and then. On the flip side, companies we partner with have access to those talent profiles. And so they can either send candidates a message directly, Mm -hmm. or we actually send recommendations out also. So we'll recommend to companies that they should check out certain candidates. And we do this matchmaking based on both cultural and skill Mm -hmm. fit. So our goal is really to have companies be a culture fit for the candidate. You always hear about culture fit on the company side, and we're really focused on what is the culture fit for the candidate. And so from there, the software is really like kind of dating app-like where both sides opt in. And if they do opt in, then they get an email introducing them. And then it goes from there. And yeah, we've had great success with that. Lots of companies finding new hires and candidates finding jobs. So it's been Mm. a good experience. Thank God. (laughs) Super cool. I love it. Yeah. So, and the company, is the company paying to participate up front? Yes. Forgot that part. Okay. Yes. It's an annual subscription and they pay up front. Okay. And do you take any sort of recruiting fee if someone does get hired or anything like that? Or no, it's just they pay up front and... We don't. Yeah. Yeah. At the very beginning, we were looking at both doing a recruiting yeah. fee and I we did like math and we actually, I think thought we would make more money actually with the placements we were making if we'd done a fee. But that's very much like an agency model. And you're also, a lot of what we're doing is software driven. Like we're building the software for companies and candidates to really effectively meet and, and discover each other. And so the subscription software business is sort of a better model for what, for the approach that we're taking. Got it. Yep, that makes sense. How much do companies pay per year? So it depends. We have a package that's for earlier stage startups. So we do, we offer some discounting. So it's between five and $8,000 for early stage startups. Okay. But the sort of, I would say most of our customers are in the like series A, B, C, D, like just raised around scaling up, hiring kind of world. And so Mm -hmm. that is in the $18,000 bucket. But we love little startups. So we offer this deal to especially YC companies. But if you're listening and you really want to work with us and you email me, I'll see what I can do. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, And that makes sense. So you can accommodate different size companies. And also like a smaller company is going to have less of a need to hire as many people as like a bigger company. So exactly, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And we really think of it as like a long-term partnership. So one of the fun things that we've had happen is like little companies we've worked with go on to be really big companies. And totally right. one of the things that I love personally is 
when a woman from Alpha joins a tiny startup and that tiny startup becomes really successful, she, number one, is hopefully going to be rich and can reinvest in (laughs) underrepresented people in tech because the numbers show that women invest in more women. I'm just talking about women there. I know that doesn't encompass all of underrepresented, but I'll just focus on women. And number two, that they're powerful. They have influence on the product and the company. They're going to be hopefully scaling with the team and managing people and all those things. And so I think both of those things are really exciting. And that's one of the reasons I feel really excited about specifically working on the talent side. Very cool. Yeah. It's okay if not. Are you able to share any of the numbers around revenue or the number of companies you work with? I Revenue, I think I'm going to hit pass on. Sure. I think we're at like 65. I have to double check the exact number. Cool. But ballpark. Very cool. Yeah. And so is there a mechanism for candidates who want to kind of be open and looking, but don't want their company to know that they're kind of open and looking as well? Yep. So when you create your profile, you say which company you work at. And so we just hide you from, if your company is our partner, we'll just hide you. So, So you can job search. It comes up occasionally. It's not a huge thing, but we just you know, want to make sure that people feel like safe and comfortable Smart doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. We also, you can create a candidate profile and opt out of the talent pools just, and then just our hiring team sees your profile. So you have that option as well. It's actually very few people who do that. Right. But if you want to do that, you can, and then you'll just get hiring recommendations from us as a team. So you'll be put into recommendations, but you won't have like a public listing. Exactly. Would you still be recommended to companies as well, or you'll only see the companies sent to you? Yeah, the companies will just be sent to you. Got it. Yeah. Is that matchmaking done automatically or manually by your team? A little bit of both. Hmm. I would say it's a human supported by software. So we have software to facilitate the matchmaking, but we have a human involved who's using her context from conversations with the company and candidates and just also always this human sanity check as well. So, but definitely like software to make it much more efficient for her to make those intros. And she basically clicks buttons and then Mm -hmm. the rest happens in software. Very cool. Yeah. Have you ever thought about spinning out this matchmaking job product as something that other communities could use? That's a good question. I hadn't, but I've seen that there's the job board as a service, which is an in, definitely an interesting thing. Yeah. So I know that like recruiting is something that many communities are thinking about as a revenue generation tool. I have many opinions about this. I think it's really hard to do well. And so, yeah, I have, have many opinions about, about that whole world. Doing matchmaking well. Well, definitely doing matchmaking well, but also like adding hiring and like a job board onto a community and how to do that well. I think there's a lot of nuance to that. Mm. What are a couple of the nuances that you think are really important? Yeah. I mean, I think it's not a one size fits all on either side, like for community members or the companies, like in terms of skill level needed for a job, in terms of department, in terms of the size of the company, like there are all of these things that go into job searching. And so creating like a very customized experience for, I think on both sides, for a candidate, I think is the most important thing because they're the ones that are like in short supply Mm -hmm. and is really tricky and like is something that's difficult to do. And how do you stand out as far as sending a candidate opportunities that they really care about? How do you get them to engage with you? Like these are all things that are challenging. I think especially as there are more and more online communities and more communities are looking at at jobs as like a revenue source, like there's more noise also. Yeah. So the question of how do you stand, stand out is definitely a big one, I would say. Do you have a piece of advice for a community builder who wants to do this really well? I think it's, I would say, I don't know if easier is the right word, but I think like the better the match, if there's a way to have a sort of globally excellent match between either certain companies or a certain type of job with everyone in your community, like let's say you are a community of customer success people, like you're 
better position. I don't know about better, but I think it's easier to then do hiring from that because everyone is, it's like the type of job everyone looking for is very similar. So you, it like, it's less difficult to get very, to have something that's relevant to all your users. But I think the piece that's especially true that I've seen, especially since COVID is like, people are no longer cool with jobs for the sake of jobs, right? They want to work on something that's meaningful, that's mission-driven, that aligns with their values. I think people are being a lot more thoughtful about those things than they maybe were a few years ago. And so you can send them customer success jobs, but there's a lot about the company behind those jobs, right? Like, and the specific role and the mission of the company and what they're building. And so, yeah, I think the more specific you can get, that you can get the better, the more targeted you are in terms of like understanding what kind of jobs would appeal to your users. And hopefully there's some global specific things that you can do. I think the better. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Like tying it, like you said, tying it to values and mission and other things. Like it's not enough just to like check the boxes of what they're looking for. Yeah. You have to really connect with candidates on a more emotional level now. Yes. Yes. I think that's very true. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, I would love to be a beta tester of that product if you ever do spin it out. Cool, yeah. We've experimented with this a lot over the last eight years with CMX. We've done everything from full-on recruiting and and taking recruiting fees to trying to do matchmaking and have this really elaborate air table with like asking what they're looking for and matching it with companies. And we tried lots of things. It's never been enough of our like focus to like do it really, really well. And 100% you're right. This is not something where you can just like set it up and it kind of just works. Like right. there's so much nuance to doing it well yep. and it takes a lot of time. So it takes a lot of time. That's the thing. If there were software. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing. Maybe I should have said. Save me some time then. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I probably should have said when you said, what advice would you give? I think it's just like realizing that it's not a like put add the product and they will come like you really have to spend a lot of time on recruiting if you want that to be a way you make money and because it really matters that it works well and yes we actually started with an air table and it takes a lot of time to do recruiting in an air table no hate for air table air table is amazing and we thank god we had air table to start but we needed to build software yeah. yeah, it started breaking at about 100 candidates yep. for me because I was just doing it manually yep. and just like, okay, you seem like you're fit for this. And, and I was sending emails. Yep. And then I was like, well, I can't handle this anymore. So I just started sharing the Airtable with the candidate and the candidate Airtable with the company. And I'm like, you look and you tell me if you want an <laughs> intro. And then that didn't work. That broke. So now we just reverted back to, we just have a job board. Yep. It's like, post your job there. I, I can't handle this anymore. But one day, one day I would love to. I think you and I could have a much longer conversation about this because, yes, I've had some very similar learnings for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's why these podcasts are never long enough. Yeah. Well, I want to squeeze in one last question before our rapid fire question rounds because you teased it before. You said you have some big opinions about VC oh. backing for community centric businesses. What's your take? I mean, I don't think there's a right or wrong, but I think taking venture is really hard when you're community business because you're trying to build a really high quality experience for your users and grow at all costs is often really in conflict with that. And so I think bootstrapping is a great way to empower yourself to basically provide the best experience for users. But I think if you're going to do that, you have to figure out your revenue model really early. And if you're going to make hiring your revenue model you have to be, Yeah, I think you have to think hiring is fun. Like I think if you try to do it <laughs> yeah. and you hate recruiting, it's not a good mix. Yeah. You'll be sad. But I think whatever the business model is, I would say you need to think about it early. You need to commit to it. You need to feel good about it, both like committing your time and energy and interest to it. And also like make sure it jives with your community. If you're ads-based, put some ads up early. I know that's not what people say usually, but that's what I think. Mm. And just to make sure, because by generating revenue, you're sort of empowering yourself and your members to be potentially independent. Right. But I think you can also take investor cash. I think it's just a question of making sure that you choose investors whose values are aligned with yours, who understand your product, 
lot of our investors are women. Actually, a lot of our first checks came from alpha members. So like our first angel investor was an alpha member who liked the product. And then she actually introduced us to some other angels and that became VCs. So, and because of that, I feel good about in the relationship between needing to scale and also making sure the product is really high quality and high value to our members. So I don't have like a, you should do it this way. Yeah. But I think one of the things I have learned, because like also community building, I think takes much longer than a lot of other kinds of businesses. It's like, it's certainly a grind up front. So I think mm -hmm. just make sure that you're really happy building your community. I think that's true of any, maybe happy is not the right word. You feel very fulfilled. You feel good fulfilled. every day building your community. Because I think especially if you take venture money, like, I don't know, I was going to say, especially if you take venture money, that should be true. But I think on both sides, it's true. They both have different complexities. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I like your point. I've heard you make this point before that monetizing early is actually a good thing. Yeah. And I think that is counter to what a lot of the common advice is out there of like, build your community, make it free, and then like figure out monetization later, yeah. which like comes from this whole Facebook world where it's like, just right. be free. And you'll once you're big enough, you'll figure it out. Yeah. But I agree. I think like, in my experience, community members are really happy, actually, when they see that you have like, a way to monetize that aligns with the community, because that means the community is like, sustainable and it's you'll be able stable. to continue to do it and yeah. pay yourself. Like they don't want to see the community leader burn out and yeah, not be exactly. able to sustain themselves. And I think also with like some of the data scares that have happened where people's data, people feel like their data, they don't know what's happening with their data if you don't have a business model yet. If you're like, I'm going to figure it out later. It's like, okay, maybe you're going to sell my data. That's scary. Like, why should I be here? Right. I think it creates yeah. trust when you're like, look, I have a plan. Here's the plan. Yeah. I'm implementing the plan right now so you can see how the plan works. And then they're like, okay, I get it. This is something that will be around that I can put my trust in. The people are have a plan, basically have a plan. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. In agreement. Okay, then it's time for our rapid fire question round. Kadrian, are you ready? I think I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out if you're ready. Okay. Well, I also have a thousand more questions for you. So we're going to save those for the next interview that we do cool. in the future. I'm going to have to have you back because you even brought something up there about like raising funds from your community. And yeah. We didn't talk about like I know. community crowdfunding and all that fun stuff. So such a good topic. We'll see. We'll see. We'll tease it. Now you have to subscribe to the podcast or else you're going to miss Cajun's next interview. There you go. Whenever I could convince you to come back. <laughs> okay. Rapid fire question round. Number one, what was the best Halloween costume you ever had? So... I met my husband on Halloween. So I have to do Ooh. the costume from that year, which in itself is not that exciting. I was a mouse. I actually kind of hate Halloween and dressing up, but I met him on Halloween. So. It's very mean girls. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a mouse. Duh. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I have to ask, how did you meet your husband at this oh. Halloween party? You can't just tee that up and not finish the answer. I know, good question. Yeah. It was a college, like friends from college party. We were actually both visiting DC. So we were both out mm -hmm. of town, but also both lived in New York. So very convenient for follow-up dating. Mm -hmm. And he was in a suit, which he planned. He was like, I'm going to meet a girl tonight. So he wore a suit. It does. My costume is meeting a girl. Yeah, exactly. He was like very intentional. I thought he was going to be a cat or something like that. No, that would have been amazing. I wish. That would have been a good story. You should just change the story. <laughs> okay, that's a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, we took this picture of us just yeah. because it was a party and we were chatting. And it's a great picture. It's beautiful. And it's from the first night we met. So it's very nice. I get to use it for all sorts of things. Besides the fact that I have ears on, whatever. He's wearing a suit. So that's nice for him. <laughs> Yeah, he looks great. <laughs> he looks great. <laughs> All right, love it. Next question. What makes Alpha weird? I mean, it's our members. Like, I don't know if weird is the right word, but our members are all so unique and they say so many different interesting things. And like, it's just, I think the mix of like Anon with real identities, it just allows people to kind of open up and share parts of themselves that they might not otherwise. Like, we have threads about work, but there's also like, I was just looking at an older post that was like a woman talking about 
how she was going to open up her marriage and like all of the conversation around that. When someone wrote another post that was like about a crazy travel story, traveling alone. And so it's just like all this different people talking about different things. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. That yeah, being being able to ha- be really open is yeah. is kind of weird on its own. Like it's hard to find those communities. I know. I'm really weird too. I mean, I think we all are. When you're really open, all of a sudden you discover we're all strange. Go. Yeah, we're all strange really people. weird. <laughs> and your weirdness, I'm sure, translates right. into Alpha's of course weirdness. Yeah. I'm going to ask uh, like a trifecta book question now. I'm going to kind of throw a curveball. Okay. What's the book that had the biggest impact on your life? Oh. What's your favorite book to gift to others? Okay. And what book are you reading right now? Okay. My favorite book to gift, I well, I have two. So the Parable books by Octavia Butler, I love those. And uh, Oryx and Crake. So I really love speculative fiction. It's like subgenre of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I particularly really love those books and Octavia Butler in particular. And then I don't know what book has been most influential. That is such a huge question. I like, I'll say a subgenre, which is speculative fiction, because I <sighs> love, I read so much speculative fiction. And that's one of the ways that I relax. And it, it's just like super creative. And if you don't know, it's all about like, usually about the influence of technology on society or like the future mm. state of society or the world. Sometimes it's after a catastrophic event. All of that stuff. Like Ready Player One, those kinds of things. Yeah, interesting. And so it's like, it, they're just so creative and it's just like sort of mind expanding, even for thinking about technology that we use today. Yeah. And it's always really scary and interesting and cool when you read yeah. speculative fiction that was written 40 years ago and they yeah. tell the story of present day, like the parable books. Great read. I mean, not all of it is true, but there's some things that have happened recently that are kind of spooky. So, mm, yeah. I'll have to check those out. Yeah. And what was it? 1984? Yeah. Is that the book? The one that we all read in school right. that's like kind of too true? Yep. Love it. Yeah, I didn't actually know that that was a genre of speculative fiction. Yeah. So that's awesome. I really, I really enjoy those books too. Yeah. So I'm going to read those. Cool. Add it to my list. All right, next question. What's a go-to conversation starter that you like to use in your communities? So we actually do conversation starters every week. And so we'll post two, usually one that's about work and one that's about life. And so a couple that we've used, I'm thinking that are popular ones are, what's one thing that you're really good at and one thing that you're really bad at? Mm. And then the other one, we actually use this as a, have used this as a, for team building things also, which I really like is what's one really boring fact about you. And I like that because like I love that one. people say things that are absolutely not boring, but that they would never normally yeah. share. Totally. And that makes me very happy. <laughs> I've used that one before and it's awesome. You get such good, yeah. like interesting. Because if you ask what's the most like interesting about yeah. them, it like adding the boring just gives permission in a way yeah. to share something about you. You know, you don't feel like you're bragging. To be weird. Yeah, exactly. It's always like a weird thing, which is actually super interesting. Oh, I love them. Awesome. Well, here's a weird question. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? Yes, absolutely. I'm always cold. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm just always cold. So I'm always wearing socks. (laughs) Me too. It's very much a blood flow thing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. Next question. Who in the world of community would you most like to take out for lunch? I thought you were going to say, who in the world would I most like to take out to lunch? Because my answer there was Octavia Butler, the writer who I just mentioned. That's who I want to take to lunch. I, for who would I like to take to lunch? I actually, I'll give a little shout out. I would take Lenny to lunch from Lenny's letter. Lenny Richitsky. Because I think he's really good at community building, but also he did me a great solid recently. And so this is one of the things I love about people who run communities is like, we're all just like in this little club, whether we know each other or not. And you can email and ask each other for stuff. And everyone's super nice and helpful. And I just really appreciate that. And so I had emailed Lenny and asked him for advice about a growth, about finding a growth person for something. And mm-hmm. and he just like sent me three introductions and one of them was a hit. And so I want to take him to lunch because I think he's good at community building, but also because I just want to say thank you. And I asked him if I could send him a gift and he was like, no, no, don't worry. But I, I want to like thank him. So maybe anyway, I'm publicly thanking him on a podcast. 
I love it. Yeah. Lenny is incredible people. I just got to work with him on a, we published an article on his newsletter about community building for founders. Nice. I saw that. So I got to work with him for like three months and I was like, this is... Oh, awesome. I, this is just great. I get to hang out with Lenny for three months over at least over email yeah. and just like go back and forth on the article. Yeah. And he's just one of the most thoughtful content creators and community builders. Yes. He's definitely the type of person you, you ask him for something like a recommendation, you're going to get three incredible recommendations. So, so helpful. Yeah. Much appreciated. Shout out to Lenny. Yes. Good one. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what food would it be? My answer to this is very strange. I would only eat Japanese sweet potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) No further questions. Love it. (laughs) I'm just so confident in that answer. No follow-ups. I'm just going to accept that as it is. Yeah. All right. There's a good one for you because you can build any community product you wanted. What's a community product you wish existed? I like basically just like what I'm building. And so I think like building the community for women and also this hiring product we talked about, which is like, how can women, especially and especially women engineers have a very positive experience looking for work through a community Mm -hmm. is something that is like top of mind to me. Very interesting that we're currently working on. So that's the one that comes to me immediately. Well, like I said, I wish that existed too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So no pressure, but whenever <laughs> it's available, just shoot me an email. I bet Lenny would use it too. There you go. His jobs. There you go. As well. Okay. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one piece of advice for the rest of the world on how to live, what would that advice be? Okay. Am I allowed to curse? Absolutely. Okay. This is a cursing safe podcast. Okay, great. I think it's just to give fewer fucks. Mm. That's it. I was like, you know, a few things, different things ran through my mind just now, and they all sort of roll up into giving fewer, give fewer fucks. fucks. Yeah. How have you been able to give fewer fucks in your life? Yeah. I mean, I think talking about Alpha, like I was a very much an internet lurker when I started Alpha because I was like, I don't, what will people think if I say this? I'm worried about that. All these worries about sort of expressing myself in a public way. And the experience of building Alpha, launching it, like posting it on Hacker News, writing content on Alpha, engaging in conversation with other members. It's been an experience of like releasing some of the worry and just like giving fewer fucks and then fundraising. And I think there's a lot of, oh, you're supposed to be a certain way. You're supposed to do things a certain way. You're supposed to have a certain personality in order to be a successful founder or a successful leader. And Mm -hmm. I really like just throwing all of that. Over time, I'm learning more and more to just like throw all of those sort of like, to be successful, you must do things in a certain way, philosophies out the window. And for me, that's just giving fewer fucks about what people think, about what the rules are, and just focusing on what I do best, what works for me, what makes me happy or fulfilled or satisfied. And also life is long and you mess something up, you're probably going to forget. If you zoom out the mental model of like zoom out 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 years and think about like, will this matter? I think that's so Mm. great and such a good way Mm. to figure out what to worry about. Yeah. I love that. And very much in the process of learning how to give less fucks myself always. Oh, me too. I struggle with this all the time. Let's not... Imagine for a moment that I have it down. So I give quite a few too many fucks way too often. Me too. Me too. Mm, Just got to let it go. Gotta let it go. All right. Where can people go to continue to learn from you, learn about Alpha, maybe apply to join the community? Yes. Alpha.com, E L P H A.com. And then if you want to talk to me, it's CC at E L P H A.com. Awesome. Adrian, this was an incredible conversation. You're, like I said, open invite to come back on so I can ask you lots of questions about community crowdfunding and different tools that you're going to be building. I want to learn about like operations too, like how you do community measurement and tracking and operating. We didn't even get so many things. So yes, I know there's so many things. I also, can I just say, was thinking while we were talking, like how cool to be you because you must just, you know, everything about community because you're talking to community people constantly. And I just want to, I want to interview you 
I want to ask you questions. That's far from true. (laughs) But yes. (laughs) Well, anytime, anytime. Very, very much enjoyed chatting with you. And you're very unique in that, like you're building tools. You came from a different background and community and you just learned how to build this really thriving community on the fly. And I love that you're so intentional about making sure you're building the right tools for your community and not just kind of using what's out there. That takes a lot of work and effort and thoughtfulness. And you're creating a space for women to feel safe in tech, which is so just extremely important and, and having a huge difference for a lot of people. So just grateful for you and all the work that you're doing. And thanks so much for taking the time to share some of your lessons with us here today. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun, really interesting. I feel like I learned a few things during this, which was really great. It makes me, again, say I want to <laughs> interview you. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for thinking of me for this episode. I appreciate it very much. Of course. All right. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.